Women on the Line, produced at 3CR, acknowledges the people of the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the lands from which we broadcast. We pay respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation, and we recognise their unceded sovereignty. So, welcome back to another episode of Women on the Line, where National Feminist Current Affairs Program, produced by women and gender non-conforming people at 3CR Community Radio in Nam, Melbourne, on Wurundjeri Country. We're broadcast across the Community Radio Network. I'm Shahrazad Blue. On the 3rd of March, headlines made Australian news that the United Nations General Assembly voted for a resolution deploring Russia's invasion of Ukraine and calling for an immediate withdrawal of forces. Reports indicate that more than 2,000 civilians have been killed since the invasion began and the UN estimates up to 1 million people are displaced. Those displaced face extreme difficult conditions in the middle of winter. There have been reports that students from Africa, the Middle East and South Asia have been denied entry to transport leaving the major centres in Ukraine to the borders. And when they arrive to the borders, some have been denied entry or attacked by far-right groups that are spreading misinformation. Here, in Australia, with one of the world's most harsh border policies in place, Prime Minister Scott Morrison has been criticised for saying that applications from Ukrainian people are, quote, at the top of the pile. This forced Liberal Party members to reassure that this does not mean that applications from Afghan nationals who are fleeing the Taliban regime will be deprioritised. But it also sits in contrast to people who have been stuck in Indonesia for years, some up to 8-10 years, like Rohan's family who have been stuck in Indonesia for 6 years, waiting to be resettled to a third country. In today's episode, we're going to have a look at one of the key issues facing refugee children in Indonesia, and that is access to education. And for today's show, I'm joined again by freelance journalist and writer based in Indonesia, Alina Mark. Welcome back, Alina. Hi, Jehazad. Thanks for having me again. So you actually came onto our show, well, one of our last shows last year, and you're back again to tell us more about a specific issue facing refugee communities in Indonesia. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Thank you first uh, for having me with you, uh, Shahrazad, at uh, 3CR. So uh, today in our show, we're going to dig deeper to the education problem that refugee children in Indonesia are facing every day, and they have been facing it for the past years. Do you remember Rawan? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so today I'm meeting Rawan's mother, and uh, she, she doesn't speak uh, English, so I'm going to do so, like a short interview with her in Arabic to, let, uh, to tell us a little bit about uh, the situation uh, she's facing with her family and uh, how's the, the education program is going for a while. And uh, we also am um, joining with my friend Faiza. She's the manager from For All Learning Center. And she's going to give us the, uh, the full uh, form about the problem with education and how they are trying to compensate and, uh, you know, uh, getting over these problems. 
Yeah, and just to give a recap for listeners, people, uh, refugees who find themselves in Indonesia have limited access to education or have almost limited rights to education in Indonesia. And this is what this is all about, isn't it? Yes. So uh, for the refugee children in Indonesia, they are facing two problems mainly that control their education problem. The first one that Indonesian government is not a signatory of the refugee convention and that uh, this one it doesn't give any recognition of the UNHCR card in the education system in, uh, in uh, the Indonesian government. So uh, refugee children, they can attend the uh, formal schools, but they treat it as informal students. So they are not allowed to take any certificates or anything that's proved they finished any levels, which is, could help them in the future when they go to a third country. That's the one problem. The second problem, uh, the big number of the refugee children who are not able to uh, enroll in the public schools, they get problems with the learning centers because there are very limited numbers of the learning centers and it's just in two cities in the whole Indonesia. So with the limited resources and with the difficult, with the identity and uh, with the UNHCR ID, which is not acceptable by the Indonesian government that's made the whole problem for the uh, refugees' children. And the only one who pays this price is those children. Uh, so let me introduce you, Shireen. Uh, she is an Iraqi mom. She's 38 years old, she has four children, and she's an amazing mom. She's trying to do very hard uh, for uh, her children to be educated every single day. So please welcome with me, Shereen. We left Iraq and came to Indonesia in 2016 because of the situation in Iraq. There was a war there, and we were afraid for our safety, the safety of our family, my children, my husband from the war and the killing that was happening there. That is why we came to Indonesia in 2016. And we applied to UNHCR, and since that time we have been in Indonesia. And of course it was difficult for me, as a mother of four children, it hurt me. They left the schools in Iraq where they were doing well, and here they were not able to get any education for years, for four years. But after the COVID-19 pandemic, they have been able to start studying online. But we don't know if their studies will be able to give them credit or if they're even accepted outside the country or not. Maybe we'll, we'll stay here or maybe we will go to a third country. But we still do not know if the study is accepted outside or not. And I wish I would know. I wish I could know for the future of my children. I don't even know where where it will be. I have two boys and two girls. Majed, 16, Adyan, 15, Rawan, 12, and Ahmad, he's six years old. So we live outside Jakarta, which makes it difficult to take our children to the learning centers. Of course, at the beginning, it was extremely difficult to take the children early early in the morning from one city to another. 
and back again. Besides the expense, the children get tired before they even reach the learning centres. So how will they be able to learn there? How, how will they be able to understand when they are so tired? And maybe they will understand and maybe they, they won't. We don't know. You know, it takes one and a half hours to reach the learning centre from where we live. And we tried to communicate with the organisations to solve this kind of problem that we were having. But we tried and our voice was not heard. They did not give us any solutions. But now, again, since the pandemic, they have started to open the learning centres online. Now, they do not study all the subjects, they only study the English and Indonesian languages. We asked if their certificate is akin or similar to credit, or is credit, and they said no. And not all levels study math. At the beginning, they were having difficulties with the English language. But after they joined the learning centres, their, their language skills have improved. And Rawan and Ahmed in particular, their English is a lot better. And of course, I noticed some behavioural changes in my children. So, you know, psychologically, they became much more relaxed. They were able to start communicating with children their own age. And at the beginning, even though their study was difficult because they had not been able to join a school for years, but with time, they started to understand and it became easier for them. Their teachers were good and cooperative, and this meant that they were able to improve. And I hope one day that my children can go to university, the boys and the girls. This is the dream of my life. And may Allah compensate us with them after all this suffering. I wish that if they can help us for our children to reach a country that is safe for us and for us to be able to get out of this situation, because financially it's difficult, but also mentally, and especially for our children. And we hope all of this for our children. We were just uh, listening to the explanation of Shireen, Rawan's mom, from a point of view of the family refugees, and we heard all that suffering they are facing every single day because it's not just education problem, it's like educa uh, educational problem, financial problem, health problems, you know, they are facing everything every single day. Um, Indonesia is sees itself as a transit country, doesn't see itself as a country where people are resettled. Also, people who are transiting or, you know, transiting in, in quotation marks come from... Uh, most of the refugees there, the big numbers that are coming from Afghanistan and we know that's the war happening and we also have a big population of, from Somalia and also from Iraq and so all these conflicts, countries, they are... Uh, the people there, they are trying to save their lives and trying to save their children's lives. But right now, it's becoming even like a biggest problem because of the waiting time for uh, from the time they are getting recognized as a refugee 
two at a time, they are getting a resettlement procedure and they go to resettle in different countries like US or Canada or Australia or New Zealand. Before, the, the waiting time was maximum three years, but now you can see people who are staying here for seven and six and eight and nine, ten years. Like for Rowan's family, they have been here for six years and they are still asylum seekers, so it's becoming more and more difficult. Uh, for the refugees, families, and the situation here. And the way that people have tried to build education for uh, refugee children is through these learning centres, which are community-run or refugee-run. The main two cities that in Indonesia that has uh, a learning centres are Jakarta and Chisarawa. Chisarawa is like a mountain area. And the, I think the whole numbers, it doesn't exceed nine or ten learning centers. And they cannot, uh, you know, the demand is much higher than that, what they, these learning centers can offer. And at the same time, they don't give a formal education. They try to teach English and math and some schools and some learning centers. They teach science, biology, but still it's not a formal education. They cannot give a credit certificate to the refugee children. And we don't, we don't want to forget about, you know, the cost of living inside Jakarta is very high. They're living in different cities, in different uh, islands of Indonesia. So they cannot send their children to the learning centers in different cities. And Pfizer helped set up or was a co-founder of one of these learning so, centers. Please welcome with me Pfizer. She's an Eritrean woman, uh, 24 years old. She arrived here four years ago with her family. A long journey in the education for the refugee children. Since she arrived here in Indonesia, she has worked as a teacher and also as a co-founder and partnership manager at For All Learning Center. Thank you, Pfizer, for being with us today. So uh, is it okay if I ask you, uh, who pushed you or like who encouraged you to go through this uh, journey? To be a teacher in an educational field, why you choose that field especially? At first, it was out of uh, curiosity because joining a learning center in Indonesia, it was the right place. At first, when I come, it was the right place to get to know people, to understand the situation and meet uh, a lot of new people. Because when you are a newcomer in any place, you need to socialize and get to know about the situation. So at first, when I joined as a volunteer coordinator, it was out of curiosity to get to know people and to know, actually understand the, the situation of refugees in Indonesia contributed a lot in, in my journey. And then I, I I decided to continue in it because I get to meet a lot of young teenagers and young kids and to, to help them out, to understand their challenges and work with the teachers to solve those challenges. That's why I like it. I, and, and I really wanted to continue in that and in supporting those uh, young kids and, and teenagers. Wow, that uh, seems like a long journey. So I wanted to ask you from a different point of view. Uh, so from you have a young siblings who didn't able to join uh, learning centers or any other educations for almost two years. How did you face that with your family to have a younger siblings who are not able to join any educational field? Um, it was very hard. It was very, very hard because when you see um, a kids in, in the age where they 
um, out of curiosity, they start reading, explore the world and understand the things around them. And they don't have that place, you know, school for normal kids. It's a place where they explore and get to know new things. Right. So when I see my siblings, uh, specifically like my, my brother, when we came, he was uh, around nine year old and he was still in a, in a stage that kids you know the alphabet. Still, he can't read, but it still he has a lot of questions in his mind that in my case it was answered in the in the school so when i saw such a right that any kid that uh supposed to have it and they don't have it it was so heartbreaking as the oldest sister and as uh, also my mom uh, my, my parents supported a lot in in not giving up to to to, to the situation um homeschooling them uh, find the curriculums online support them and help them until they get a space to join any learning center. And even when we reached the stage that there was a place for them, uh, because, um, you know, uh, education, it's it's uh, it shouldn't also stop just by school or learning center. They, it should continue. And that uh, support still is continuing. And that helped me a lot to understand a lot of kids, a lot of uh, teenagers, what they are going through, because I feel them, because I've been in their shoes. Mm. So I... I really understand how that very hard to the to the parents. So uh, may I ask you, like, and I don't want to be emotional here, but I'm sure your siblings ask this question. Did they ask you any time or they ask your parents, like, why the other children are able to go to uh, schools and getting uh, education while they are staying in the house and, like, they're not getting any education? What What was the answer for this kind of questions? Definitely, they did ask about that. Uh, not the younger one, the one that's older than that. Like he was nine, ten year old. He started, he started to understand the things around him. He started to understand that he's not being specifically when you see our Indonesian neighbors. They go to school, and um, he can't go to school. He definitely that question pop up in his mind. Like why I don't go to school like normal people. So the way that question were answered, we couldn't hide the truth, I mean, uh, but we tried it to deliver it to him in a very simple way with a full of hope that all these things are temporary and it will be changed and uh, he shouldn't give up. We will continue, we'll keep helping you and inshallah you will find a place in joining any uh, learning center to socialize with people and get to know and to have a friend you know um, but still it's heartbreaking yeah to be like a normal child like every child they see everywhere around on the streets early morning or, yeah. uh, wearing uniforms and you know carrying their books and bags Okay, so may I ask you, because you have a lot of emotions and a lot of knowledge, you gained it through experience and, you know, through, through being a, a part of this, uh, how you can say it, part of this dilemma, if you, even if you don't want it, but, uh, you know, uh, life's put you there. So what was your motivation, the first motivation that pushed you to decide, I'm going to stick there in the education system and I will do whatever I can? The main, the main motivator uh, in, um, was my father, to be honest, um, because uh, he has such a, um, a resilient personality that, uh, that it, he has never given up to any situation, though uh, with a restriction and a lot of 
uh, restriction challenges he, he kept fighting and once also we we came here he still has that spirit and he uh, grow it inside us and inside me specifically so he always asked me why not why we don't found for example uh, a learning center in helping people why we don't do such a thing to help people why we should give up to a certain situation it's true that there is a lot of strict restriction here and living in indonesia but there should be um, other ways to overcome such a challenge or such a pitfall maybe that the kids are not being able to join education and they are being challenged in that thing there should be a way that we can overcome that so he like grew this way uh, mindset in my head so i just kept asking why not we can do that there there should be a way we need mm. just to figure it out we need to find it out so my main motivator was my father and then to be in a shoe of all of these kids that not being able to join to any learning center as a big sister i really understand how that is so mm. hard to the parents to the kids to everyone these two things uh, kept pushing me in every challenge that i've have gone through this main motivator kept popping up to keep me going uh, okay let's go a little bit back to the education system and let's talk a little bit about for all learning center because you're one of the co-founder of for all learning center and you're also a partnership uh, manager there. Would you tell us a little bit about the changes? Because I know For All has been now working for more than one and a half year. So what are the changes that you made since last year to this year? Um, since last year, there have been a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, changes. At first, we started implementing the GED curriculum, which is uh, General Education Diploma, which is uh, a certificate that is equivalent to a high school certificate, and it is uh, certified, and that will help uh, young uh, teenagers to get a certified certificate to continue their education journey. And in this way, we overcome like a main obstacle and a challenge in their education. And then uh, the 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 most recent change that we have brought uh, this year was uh, in 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 a kids curriculum or syllabus because mm-hmm. we have designed uh, a syllabus in a way that it improved the kids' reading uh, skills because we believe that if we were were able to help these kids to be able to read, they can explore the world. Because with reading, I mean, reading can build uh, their character, their confidence, and also will help them to explore their areas of interest, right? So and they, they can continue their education, either here in Indonesia or in, in the third country. So um, we, we have started uh, implementing this syllabus uh, this uh, year to kids between 5 till 14-year-old. Uh, uh, that's good. For, from 5 until uh, 14, and uh, from 14 to 18, that's the GED curriculum, right? Right. Right. So uh, you have a volunteers teachers. Uh, would you tell us a little bit about the nationalities and the volunteers teachers? They are helping in uh, for all learning center. Um, first, let me clarify one point that mm-hmm. for all is a, is completely an online learning program for refugees, and um, we have decided to 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 link our program online. Uh, it's uh, 
only because that we will be able to reach to refugees in a different cities in Indonesia that they don't have access to any educational institute or a learning uh, center. And to be able to reach to ref, uh, volunteers from all over the world and to help us and contribute in the education journey. So we have volunteers from the U.S., from Canada, from Sri Lanka, from Pakistan, um, from India, from uh, Sudan. We have also a volunteer like refugees, uh, refugee volunteers from uh, from Sudan, from Eritrea, from um, even we have uh, volunteers from Indonesia. Wow, that's great. It seems like uh, you have an international learning center here from all over the world. And, you know, the exciting things that there are a lot of volunteers who are living in overseas and they are not refugees and maybe they will not get a chance to meet their students face to face. But still, they are willing to help in the learning centers despite the difference in the time zone. Because I know some students, like uh, I know you have uh, teachers from Canada, so... The morning time in Indonesia, it's actually the night time in Canada. So they're still staying awake to help you in uh, delivering education for the children. That's an amazing thing to hear about, you know, everyone coming together and try to be uh, uh, as human as they can, where it's it's becoming very difficult for everyone else. That's amazing. Uh, so I heard that you're doing a fundraise now for, for all. Would you tell us a little bit about the fundraise? Yes, so we have started the fundraise early early this year. Um, and our goal was to get $4,000. And now we are halfway through, uh, like around uh, 2000 and something. It has been like challenging to be able to reach to people uh, to support us. We still have that strong belief that there is um, people that are gonna support us and are gonna find um, uh, the 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 meaningful and valued thing that we're doing and will help us to to get that. That's great. So may I ask you a little bit about the money? Where that money goes the moment that you collect it? How you're going to spend that money in for all learning center? Because I know a lot of people wanted to make sure that their donation is going to the right space and the right place. Okay, so the 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 fund will be spent in two ways. First, in in providing the online tools to support the teachers to teach uh, the students online. And the second way is to support our uh, refugee volunteers um, to provide for them an allowance to get, a, for example, like an internet connection, mm-hmm. like a very basic thing to help them to continue um, um, help those uh, refugees and uh, and educate them. So um, and also empower them as uh, refugees here living in a um, with a lot of. Uh, restrictions. Uh, they're not being. Uh, they're not allowed to work. They're not allowed to do many things. So empowering them with um, a very small amount of money to to appreciate uh, them, like uh, though the difficulties that they're la- living in, and uh, they are still continuing and supporting their own community, like the refugee community. They're supporting it. So the very small thing that we can do to support our refugee volunteers. Okay, that was uh, my interview with Faiza, co-founder and the partnership manager at For All Learning Center. 
still doing the fundraise and so please go to the website of 3CR and you can find the link for the fundraise and let's help them uh, to be able to collect the money they need to, to keep running the program and uh, giving the curriculums the allowance for the uh, refugee children and teachers to give a proper education to these children. We'll have the fundraisers link on our website. You can also go to their Facebook page, which is Education for the number four, all uh, A double L. And so we we're just talking with Elena Mark about the difficulties and the effects of broader border policies on the lives of people who are in Indonesia. That's all we have time for today. We'd love to hear your comments or thoughts about the program. So please send us an email to womenontheline at gmail.com or give us a call at 3CR on 03 9419 You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Women on the Line is a national feminist current affairs program and is produced and presented by a range of women and gender non-conforming broadcasters from 3CR in Nam, Melbourne. We're broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with funding support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. And the theme music that we use for Women on the Line is by Ripley Kavara. And our programs can be downloaded from 3cr.org.au forward slash women on the line. You can also find us on your favourite podcasting app. I'm Shahrazad Blue. For today's show, we were joined by freelance journalist Alina Mark. And tune in again next week on your local community radio station.